If you were here last weekend, you know that we each year kind of unveil a theme for the year that is our vision theme. It kind of kicks off our vision series. And so last week we kicked off our vision theme for the year on the other side. And we used the story of Jonathan, who was this warrior who went to battle just himself and one other person. And, and his action, the step that he took, kind of uh, started a movement of people who joined them in battle. And we talked about the importance of stepping into all that God has for us. But I think sometimes the problem when we start to unveil these big vision themes and these big ideas is that we can look at a story like Jonathan's. We can look at a theme like on the other side. We can see Jonathan's story of realizing that he had to cross this narrow path to get to the other side to face this battle. And we can think that that's good for him. That's good for a, a, a extreme circumstance like this, but it doesn't really apply to my life that it doesn't really apply to my day-to-day life. But what I want all of us to understand over this next year as we embrace this idea of going to the other side is really all we are talking about is moving from where we are to where God wants us to be. That all of us have an area of our lives that is not quite where it needs to be. That all of us have an area of our life where we could stand to take a step in the direction of more health, a step in the direction of more surrender, that there is an area of all of our lives where we could stand to move from where we are to the place that God wants us to be. For some of us, maybe a better marriage is just on the other side of some difficult conversations and some difficult meetings and, and some difficult work that we have to do. For some of us, maybe our relationships are actually pretty good, but an even greater level of intimacy, an even greater level of connection is available to us on the other side of some more intentionality with each other. See, that, that no matter where we are in our lives, there are always areas that we can step forward into more of what God has for us. And what we are asking ourselves over these next couple weeks is, is what's on the other side worth what it takes to get there? Is what God has for us in this new territory worth what it takes to get there? And see, there's this one area that we always tend to run into problems when we're on a journey. Because last week, as we talked about the story of Jonathan, what we realized is that, that Jonathan had to make it to the other side, even just to begin the battle. Uh, The battle was waiting for Jonathan on the other side, that that the journey to the other side wasn't as much the issue as what he faced when he got there. But the reality is that for most of us, we actually face the greatest level of resistance at a different point in the journey. And so I want to talk to some people today who feel like they are in the middle of a journey that is unfamiliar to them that they find themselves in the middle of a journey where they are not quite where they are going and they don't maybe even know exactly where they are going because the middle is the greatest place of vulnerability when you're heading to a new place. The middle is the greatest place of uncertainty. I'm sure that you have all experienced this situation where, where you walk into a room and maybe some people are watching a movie that you've never seen before and, and You're captivated by it, you're connected to it, you're interested in what's going on, 
but you simultaneously also kind of have no idea what's going on because you jumped into the story right in the middle. And so you have either become, or at least you know that, dare I say, annoying person who is like, wait, who's that? Wait, why is he doing that? Wait, why does that matter? Why does he care that they went there? You don't know anything that's going on because you missed the beginning. The middle of the story can be extremely disorienting if you don't know the beginning of the story. But the truth also is that, that you can sit in that same story and you can be watching the middle of the story and you can have a pretty good idea of what's going on, but it still doesn't become completely clear to you until you know the ending. And that is what's so difficult about the middle is that you have to both know how the story begins and how the story ends for the middle to truly ever make sense. And so I think a lot of us get stuck in the middle of our journey to where God wants us to be. That we maybe have the courage to take the step. We maybe have the courage to begin. We maybe have the courage to start, but we find ourselves stuck in the middle. Psychologists have actually studied this rule that they refer to as the peak end rule. And basically what it tells us is that they studied a lot of human behavior and what they've realized is that we don't generally remember the middle of any circumstance, any situation, any event. That we remember the peaks of that event. We remember the best moments of that event. And then we remember the end of that event. We remember how it ended. And one of the ways that they studied this phenomenon was they actually studied people who were taking their families to Disney World the happiest place on earth where people save thousands and thousands of dollars to fly from all around the world to spend a few days in a place that is right in our backyard. And what they found as they studied the physiological responses of people while they were at Disney World, literally tracking their levels of anxiety, tracking their levels of uncertainty, tracking their heart rate and their breathing, they were tracking them as they went through the park. What they found out may not be a huge shock to you, which is that there were actually more moments of anxiety and frustration than there were moments of joy. In fact, they, they actually compared the two experiences. They, they compared the experience of taking your family to Disney with the experience of that same person spending an entire day sitting on the couch doing nothing. And what they found is there were more moments of peace and joy sitting on the couch doing nothing. The problem was that in the experience of sitting on the couch doing nothing, they actually never did anything or went anywhere. And so the implication was that if you actually want to go anywhere and you actually want to do anything, that the experience of un uncertainty and of anxiety and of stress is actually going to be part of the journey. That, that to have the peak moments of family joy, to have the photos in the album, to have the memories of them meeting the favorite princess, of, to have the memories of riding Space Mountain, you have to also be able to push through the moments of anxiety and the moments of pressure and the moments of stress. And, and so what they realized was that this is the reason that places like Disney World put a lot of effort and a lot of resources into how they end the day. Because what they found is that even though the experience of going to Disney World had more moments of stress and more moments of anxiety, it also had more moments of peak moments, more remembering the peak moments and more joy found in the ending moments. 
In other words, that even though there was more stress and anxiety present, it still at the end of the day was a better experience. That at the end of the day, it was still a more memorable experience. That we have this tendency to forget the middle. We forget the hour that we waited in line for the ride if the ride is as good as they said it was. We forget those moments based on the peaks and the ends. And I don't know if you've ever been kind of thrust into a moment that you didn't feel like you were ready for. But when I was in high school, I worked at a restaurant and I was a server's assistant, which is what fancy restaurants call busboys. And so I would go around and I would bus tables. And when a table was, was ready for a, a new guest, I would be the one to clean off the table, make sure they had fresh bread, fresh water to get started so that their server kind of could get them going. And so it's amazing how in a restaurant, any level of person can really kind of throw off the rhythm of the entire night. It doesn't matter if the cooks are on point and the servers are on point, if tables aren't getting bussed and things behind the scene aren't getting prepared, suddenly kind of the whole organism is thrown off. And so when we would have slow hours kind of building up to our peak hours, sometimes I would sit with a guy named Freddie who was our prep cook. And if you've ever worked in the, in the restaurant industry, there are some people who are lifers in the restaurant industry. And some of them are lifers because they live and they breathe and they love the restaurant industry and they want to be a part of it and they want to climb the ranks and, and they want to maybe own a restaurant of their own someday. And then there are others who are lifers because they have just gotten stuck in a position in a restaurant. And that is all they do. And so Freddie was about a 60-year-old man who he had always been a prep cook. And a prep cook doesn't actually cook anything. They prep everything for the cook to actually cook. And so Freddie was the one who would peel the potatoes. Freddie was the one who would salt the potatoes and get them in the oven in time so that the baked potatoes could actually be prepped. And he was the one who would season the fried chicken. He was the one who would season the shrimp. He would do all these different things. And so I would sit with him and I would help him do these things. And now that I'm older, I look back, I realize that Freddie was using me. Freddie was using me to do his job because while I was doing all of that, Freddie was generally sitting on an upside down bucket just chatting with me. And so I realized that Freddie was kind of using me and I was just kind of mostly doing his job. And then one day on a Friday, which, which is our busiest day, we're getting ready for rush and I'm looking at the clock and Freddie is not there. Freddie is not here prepping the food, and Freddie was one of the first ones in to begin prepping the food because if all the cooks show up but there's no food to be cooked, we are immediately behind in what we need to accomplish to have the restaurant ready for our guests, and I'm getting concerned because Freddie is not here, and so I'm standing in the back, and I start doing some of the things that I know to do to help get ready, and the owner of the restaurant walks around the corner, and he says, Jordan, Freddie is fired. You're the prep cook now. Friday night, right before rush. And I was like, when does this start? And he was like, right now, get it going. And so I start frantically prepping shrimp and chicken and potatoes and doing all of these things, terrified in this moment. Because even though I had been kind of doing the job, Freddie had always been present while I was doing it. And so I never actually felt like I was doing it. I felt like he was walking me through it, like he was still in charge. If anything went wrong, if anything was prepped wrong or inappropriately or something didn't come out right, I still didn't have to answer for it. Freddie had to answer for it. And so now here I am suddenly thrust into this position where I am not ready, but I have to step into it. 
And this is kind of a moment that we find in scripture with a man named Joshua. Joshua has been kind of the right-hand man of Moses. And Moses, if you're familiar with his story, is leading the children of Israel through the desert, ultimately to what God has promised them will be a land that they will inherit, that will be their land for their people. They have been enslaved for generations. They have never had anything to call their own. They have never had a place to call home. They have always been owned. They have never owned anything. And now God is saying to them, listen, you are going to go on a journey, and I'm going to take you to a place that will be your place. It will be the place that you were created to live, the place that you were created to thrive and grow and raise your families. And Moses has been their leader in this entire process, and he's had this right-hand man by the name of Jonathan. And it's nice to be a right-hand man because you kind of get to be in on some of the decisions, and you kind of get to be there for the big moments, but you don't actually have to answer for those big moments, But now we come to a place in the story where Moses is no longer around and Joshua has to step in to the role of leading the children of Israel into the promised land. And the beginning of the book of Joshua does not mince words when it says, God says to Joshua, Moses is dead. Like Moses is not just not around. Moses is not just no longer the leader. He is not going to be assisting you. Moses is gone. What you've always known that has gone before you, what you you have always known to walk you through, to hold your hand, to learn how to do it, Moses is dead, and you are now the leader of the children of Israel. And immediately as these things go, when he's thrust into this position, he finds himself in a huge problem, which is the direction that he is going to get to the promised land is blocked by a large body of water called the Jordan River. And the Jordan River at this moment is at what they call flood stage, which means that the water in the Jordan River is actually higher than the banks of the Jordan River. There is no passing the Jordan River in a season like this. And yet God tells Joshua to take steps to cross the Jordan River. Now, I don't know if you have ever heard a story that you've heard before, but whenever someone starts to tell a story that you've heard before, you tend to tune out. Like, I don't know if maybe you have a grandmother or a great-grandmother in your life that every time you see them, they launch into the same story. And as soon as you hear the intro to that story, you know exactly where that story is going. You know exactly what story she is telling. You know exactly how it's going to end. You know what the middle is going to sound like. Nothing in the story is a surprise to you. And so what you do is you generally tune out that story. And you just kind of nod along and you listen along, but you're not really listening to the story. But what's amazing is if you're around someone that tells a story enough, something that always gets your attention is when you've heard the story a thousand times and you know how the story goes, but suddenly a detail changes along the way. Like you're listening and you know what to expect, but then all of a sudden something is different and it catches your attention. And this is what happens in this moment when God begins to tell Joshua that he is calling him to lead his people across the Jordan River. Because when the children of Israel first set out in their journey towards the promised land, when they first started that journey, they they faced a similar situation where they had to cross over the Red Sea, which they could not get past. And there was an army on their tail. They were hemmed in. There was nowhere for them to go. And it says that God told Moses to step up to the Red Sea to lift his hands, to raise his staff, and that God would part the Red Sea and the children of Israel would walk through on dry land. And so God begins to tell Joshua that he is going to do once what he has 
done before. And it says this, beginning in Joshua chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are the Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took up the ark and went ahead of them. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel. So they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up into a heap. See, what, what's amazing in this moment is a lot of this story sounds very familiar. God is telling Joshua that he is going to step up to the river's edge and that he will part the waters. But if you were paying attention, there's one key detail that, that suddenly changes the entire narrative. Because for a generation, the story that has been told, the story that was experienced was that when the children of Israel walked up to the Red Sea, that Moses raised his staff and the Red Sea was parted and they walked through on dry land. But this time, when God gets to the part where they walk up to the Jordan River, he says, then you're going to have to step into the Jordan River and then I will part the waters. See, there is an extra step in what God is asking Joshua to do in this moment. That, that before he said, you will step up to the waters and I will part them, but this time you're gonna have to step into the waters and I will part them. See, God is very clear at the beginning of this that he says, you will, you will go to a place that you've never been before. And see, what I know is true for each and every one of us today is that in order to go to a place we've never been before, we have to do things that we've never done before. And in this moment, he's telling Joshua, this time you're going to have to do it differently. You're actually going to have to step into the water. It's going to require an additional step of faith to see the miracle. That it's not going to be done how it was done before. That it's going to take an additional step. See, every single step that you take in your life of faith is going to require more faith than the last one. And what God is telling Joshua is, listen, if I did it the way I did it before, if you just had to walk up to the river, then it would require no faith because you have seen that story. You have experienced that story. You have walked through that story. What I'm calling you to in this season is going to require more faith. It's going to require you to step into the river, not knowing if it's going to part. Just trusting my word that I will do what I've said I'm going to do. This time it requires an additional step. But the truth is that there are just some steps that are harder to take than others. 
Like even in our own lives, some steps make sense, some moves make sense, some career paths make sense, but others are much more difficult to take. Others, you step to the edge and you just can't quite bring yourself to take that next step. Several years back, we were leading a team of people in uh, Honduras, building homes and, and reaching out to people down there. And anytime we take a team of people around the world, we try to always have at least one day where we kind of do something fun just to decompress from all that we've been working on throughout the week. And whenever we were in this specific region, they had this in- incredible zip line where you would go and you would do like these small zip lines up to this large zip line. And the large zip line was a 35-foot drop above a waterfall. And so you would zip line over this gorgeous waterfall, 35 stories high. You would, you would feel the mist. You would, you would see the horizon in the distance. It was just this incredible experience. And so we were excited for this team to experience that. And so we had the missionary call to start to kind of set up the appointments to go and do the zip line. And it took us about two hours to drive to the place and he said, well, uh, they, they don't want to take our appointment right now, but they said to call back when we're about an hour away. And I said, well, why don't they want to take our appointment right now? And he said, well, they explained to me that last night the zip line fell, but they think they'll have it back up if you call in an hour. And I was like, explain to me the zip line fell. And they're like, yeah, there's a storm and the zip line fell, but they think they'll have it back up in an hour. And I was like, I don't really feel great about this. I feel responsible for a bunch of human lives that I don't want to take. So I thought I'm going to pass off the I'm going to pass off the responsibility though. I'm going to ask this van full of, you know, just sane adult human beings if they still want to do the zip line knowing that it's fallen last night. And so I ask them, and something happens to people when they're in a foreign country where they're just like, you know what, we o- we're only here one time. We're going to, you know, like, we're, yeah, I, th- I think we're going to go for it. I think we're going to do it. And I was like, once again, just to be clear, the zip line fell last night. And they're like, yeah, if they have it back up, it'll be fine. It'll be good. So I'm like, all right. So we call back an hour later and they're like, yeah, we're good. The zip line's good. We get to the place and I've seen the zip line before because I've done it many times and you can actually see where they've repaired it. Like, like you can actually see the place where it was like, okay, that's where it broke and there's new mechanics there. And an hour ago, apparently this wasn't up. And so we get there and they're like, hey, it's good to go. We stress test it. And we're like, how'd you stress test? And they're like, we, we test it. We're good. And we are like, we would feel a lot better if we saw some people go across the zip line. And the guy's like, sure, we'll get some people up there. So he gets a little guy up there to go across the zip line. And I'm not kidding you. It's like the smallest person he could have gotten. He gets this small little guy to get up there and strap in and he's standing on the platform. And the missionary we're with is like, I'm not going across that unless you get three guys across it at once. And so the locals, they get three guys strapped into this zip line and they link arms and they go across the waterfall as we watch and they don't fall. And I'm to our group, I'm like, are we still? And they're all like, yeah, we're definitely still going. So we go, we do the little zip lines to get to the big zip line. And I just got to tell you, when you, when, when you step up to the edge of the platform, knowing 24 hours ago, this thing fell Three small locals have gone across it, and now all of us Americans are just going to just zip line right across it, fully trusting our lives to it. That was a hard step to take. That was not a normal step to take. And I would not have taken that step if I had not seen someone go before me. 
The litmus test for us was we will take the dangerous step if we see someone else do it first. And I think so often this is the same negotiation that we have with God is I will take that step that you're asking me to take as long as I can see someone else do it first. And this is what God is is denying Joshua in this moment as he's saying, listen, I'm not going to do it the same way you've seen it done before. You are going to have to be the one to go first. That you are actually going to be the one that has to step into the water and believes for the miracle. That this is going to require more faith of you in this moment. And I, I don't think it's any mistake or coincidence that God asks Joshua to step into this raging water before he sees the miracle. Because when Moses dies... Right after it tells us that, that Moses dies, God says to Joshua, he says, I, I promise though, I will be with you as I was with Moses. And every place that your foot steps, I will give to you. Every step that you take, every place that your foot steps, I will give to you. And see, I, I think a lot of times the way we see this is as some sort of bargain as though like, if, if you go wherever I send you, I'll give you that. But what, what God was saying in this moment is that every step you are willing to take, I will give you that territory. That, that what I am giving you is really only limited by the steps that you are unwilling to take. That I will give you every place that you step, but will you step even when it doesn't make sense? Will you step even when it seems like you're stepping into a raging river that could sweep you away if I don't come through? Will you have the faith? Will you have the trust to take the step in that moment? But what I love is that in that moment, he kind of gives Joshua some things that have to happen first. If you look in verses three and four, it says, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been here before. See, the first thing that God said you have to do if you're going to take this step is you have to carry the presence of God with you. You have to carry the presence of God with you. See, the Ark of the Covenant was the representation of the presence of God for the children of Israel. And God told them to pick up the Ark and carry it and follow it through the river. Now, what's significant about this is the children of Israel were actually used to following the presence of God. They actually had grown up following the presence of God. If you're familiar with the story of the children of Israel, when God led them out of slavery, it says that there was a cloud of his presence by day and a fire of his presence by night. And that that cloud and that fire led the children of Israel, that they followed it. And the Bible actually says that whenever that cloud would move, they would move. That if they saw the cloud begin to move, that was their sign to move. If they saw the fire begin to move, that was their sign to move. But, but notice again the difference in the story is that God says, this time I'm asking you to carry the presence and you to be the one to take the steps and move. Like, but before the presence would begin to move and you would follow it, now I'm asking you to carry the presence with you. I'm asking you to be willing to take the initiative, to take the step and to carry the presence of God with you. He was doing it differently than he had done it before. See, I think that's what we have to realize in our lives is that if we want to make it to the other side of what God has for us in our lives, if we want to make it to the other side of what God has for us in our marriages, our relationships, our businesses, our families, our personal lives, our walk with the Lord, it's going to look different than it's looked before. 
Because if God does it the way he's always done it, it does not require faith. It just requires our memory. It just requires that we remember that he's done it before. And we need to remember, we need to remember what God has done for us, but we need to remember what he's done for us through the context of knowing that that we did not know how it was gonna turn out then and we have no guarantee. Now we are just trusting that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, even when it looks different than we expect. And then secondly, in verse five, it says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. See, he said, in order to take this next step into this new season, into this new territory, in order to go where God is calling us to go, we have to consecrate ourselves. And consecrating yourself simply means setting yourself apart. That if you are going to go where God is calling you to go, there are some things in your life that cannot go with you. That there are some things in your life that you have to set apart, that you have to set apart from who you are, that you have to let go of. I have a friend who uh, has a job that's kind of high up in the government, and because of what he does, he has access to a lot of really highly confidential information. And he was explaining to me that when he got the job, one of the things that they told him was that even though this has nothing to do with your job, you need to know that we regularly monitor your personal finances and your personal debt ratios. Because anybody who has access to this level of information that gets themselves too deep in a financial hole is automatically a target for someone who may want access to that information. Because someone could come along to you and say, look, I see that you are upside down. You're struggling. You cannot afford to live the way you're going to live. We'll take care of that if you give us access to the information that you have. And see, that is not something that is required of every job, but because of the level of access he has, there is a greater requirement for him. The standard is higher for him because of the level he is at. And I can just tell you that when it comes to where you are going in your walk with the Lord, where you are going in accomplishing the things that God has called you to accomplish, the level you are going is going to require a greater standard, that you have to begin to set yourself apart for the things that God has for you. See, if you want to be a part of what God is doing, there's work that you have to do today. Notice that he said, consecrate yourselves today For tomorrow, the Lord wants to do amazing things. In other words, if you want to be a part of the amazing things that the Lord is doing tomorrow, there's work for you to do today. That you have to set yourself apart today. See, consecrating yourself simply means recognizing that where you are going is more valuable than what you're holding on to. That where you are going is more valuable than what what you are holding on to. And then finally, he tells them to stand firm in the middle. Verse 17 says, The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. See, you will never make it to the other side of what God has for you if you do not learn to manage the middle of the process if you do not learn to stand firm in the middle of the process. You'll never grow if you don't learn to manage the middle. You'll never get better if you don't learn to manage the middle. And see, the middle is the most difficult part of any process. Because see, when when God parted the Red Sea, it says they all crossed over together. 
But this time it says the priests who were carrying the presence of God had to step in to the river and then they had to stand firm in the middle of the river while everyone else crossed over. I don't know if you've ever been in a season of your life where it feels like you're stuck somewhere and everyone else is passing you by. Everyone else is advancing. Everyone else is stepping forward. There, there, there have been seasons in my life where it feels like, man, I'm just standing still and, and that person, they just passed me financially. That person just passed me in my career. That person just passed me in family. Like, like everybody seems to be doing better and I just feel stuck in the middle. See, I, I think what's interesting about the priest that God trusted to carry his presence and to lead his people through this miracle was that they had to carry the presence. They had to go first. They had to go last. And they had to spend the most time in the middle. They had to carry the presence. They had to go first. They had to be the ones to step in first. But then they had to wait in the middle. And they were the last to receive the miracle. See, there is a cost to going first. There is a cost to taking steps that others will not take. See, the middle is the most difficult part of any season. The middle is the most difficult part of any process. Nobody likes to be stuck in the middle. I mean, there is probably no one in this room who would be booking an airline ticket and fighting for the middle seat. People will pay to not be stuck in the middle because everyone has more freedom than the person who's stuck in the middle. But when you're in the middle, it feels like everybody is moving forward. And see, the dangerous thing about the middle and the scary thing about the middle is that you're, you're not where you were. You, you've already sacrificed whatever it is that you had, whatever safety and security the children of Israel had on this side of the bank. They had already left all of that, but they had not yet stepped into the fullness of what God had promised them. And so the danger of the middle is that is the most vulnerable place to turn back because in the middle, it can begin to feel like you've lost everything. In the middle, it can begin to feel like you've sacrificed everything, that you have nothing. You don't have what you had. You don't yet have what you feel you've been promised. You don't yet have what God has spoken to you about. You're just standing in the middle with what feels like nothing. But I think what God is doing in this moment is as these priests stand in the middle holding nothing but the presence of God, is he's reminding us that what we've left and where we're going are still less valuable than the presence of God in our lives. That, that it, if we're in the middle of a situation that we would give anything to be on the other side of, that we, we feel like we've lost so much and we've yet to even see how it's gonna play out. We've yet to even see what it's gonna look like on the other side, that we have to learn to be satisfied with the presence of God, standing with the presence of God. See, I think sometimes our language betrays us when we talk about these kind of things because there are Christian cliches, like, like the safest place to be is in the middle of God's will. And yeah, I can tell you that these priests standing in the middle, unsure how long this water was gonna hold, unsure how long they were gonna have to stand there holding the presence, I can promise you that the people who were making it to the shore looked a lot safer. That it felt 
a lot safer. See, God is reminding us that the center of his will is not the safest place because it's the most comfortable and because it lacks danger. It's the safest place because that's where he is with us. That, that he is with us even in the middle. The middle is a reminder that the presence of God is more valuable than anything we could leave or anything we could run to. That the presence of God is the most valuable thing we can cling to. And see, I think sometimes we look at this miracle of, of walking through the Jordan River and we think about the waters parting and what a miracle that was. But multiple times in the story, it tells us that the children of Israel crossed over on dry land. That they crossed over on dry land. Last year, my family was vacationing in North Carolina and we had gotten an Airbnb on some property and there was a, a pond there, but there was no water in it. For whatever reason, it had no water in it, but it was still kind of a, a riverbed and a ball went down in it. And my middle daughter, Sophia, she like just not thinking, ran out quickly to grab it. And she was like three steps into the bed of this pond that had no water in it, but she was immediately up to her knees in mud. She immediately began to sink. And so one of our friends ran out there and tried to get her and he began to sink and they were like pulling each other out and trying to get out of it, made it even worse. And it became this whole thing. There were shoes that were lost in the process. But finally we got her out of that riverbed, out of that pond that had no water in it. And I think sometimes we neglect to realize that part of the miracle was that God made them able to stand firm where they should have sunk. Like a circumstance that should sink you, a circumstance that should keep you stuck, a circumstance that should stop you from walking forward, a circumstance that, that should hold you right where you are, that even in those moments, God can make those circumstances dry ground that you can stand firm on. And see, that is one of the things that sets us apart as followers of Jesus is that, that we can be in the middle of circumstances that would paralyze others. We can be in the middle of circumstances that would stop us from moving forward, but because of the grace of God, he makes the dry, the ground dry so that we can stand firm even in the middle so that we can stand firm even in the uncertainty of the middle, so that we can stand firm even when we haven't seen how it's going to play out. And then finally, in chapter four, it says, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone according to the number of the tribes to serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. See, notice that God said, set up a memorial to the middle. Go to the middle and get rocks. Re remember the middle. It's easy to remember the peaks. It's easy to remember when you've arrived where God's called you to be. But he says, no, remember the middle. Remember that the only reason you made it here is because you made it through the middle. 
And so there's some of you in this room today that you feel like you are in the middle of a situation that that you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You, You feel like you've lost everything and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. You're in the middle, you're in the thick of it. And I just wanna remind you that God has given you dry ground to stand firm on. And as you stand firm, to pick up moments, to pick up stones of remembrance that when you get to the other side, you can say, I made it through the middle that I made it through the middle. I made it through the worst part. And if I made it through the middle this time, I can make it through the middle next time. I, I can I can, I can, can declare to the people who came after me, listen, I know what you're walking through. Look at these stones. Look at these moments. Look at what I walked through. If I made it through the middle, you can make it through the middle. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?